my goodness, my story has many, many different uh, roads. Um, a lot of a lot of people um, tend to um, want want to, want me to talk to them because of the word playboy. It's been thrown around quite a bit. Um, that's only a portion of my testimony, but it's I think kind of unique, and people find it unique because. Um, not only did God bring me out of that mess and brought me into the Oneness Church, but then within two years later, after I was baptized in Jesus' name, um, he, he made me a pastor's wife. Hey guys, this is Brian. And I'm Tony. And you're listening to the Crucial Conversation Podcast. Some stories and some testimonies are particularly emotional to talk about. And one thing that I've been seeing a lot on Facebook is whenever... Our guest that we're having on today posts about her story. There is a certain amount of emotional attachment that's that's evolved to it. She's been asking for prayer requests to for encouragement from the Lord to come uh, to do this interview, and here she is. And this is going to go fantastic. And we are going to hear a tremendous story about how God can change lives. And so I want to thank Jacqueline St. Clair yes. for coming on the podcast today yes. with her pug. Yeah, with her pug. With our pug. <laughs> yeah, so hey, y'all, tell our, the Lord. Tell tell our listeners what you were just telling us off record about the pug. Okay, so we have a, a seven month old uh, pug, and she's highly attached to uh, staying close to someone in the family at all times. So right now, as I'm sitting, she's right by my feet, and she's in this really deep sleep. So if y'all hear this really belly chest rolling snore i trust me i've not put anyone to sleep and it's not brian or i i promise you guys that <laughs> <No>. <laughs> well like brian said thank you so much for taking time out of your busy mom schedule you were telling me that you uh you're homeschooling even before the coronavirus so you got a full schedule every single day but thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to talk with brian and i thank you for having me i really appreciate the opportunity to um get this out there and hopefully um, it will touch somebody in a profound way that uh, may be in bondage right now well, or knows someone that is. Yeah. So what is it about your story that is going to help people? What, what, what's unique? What's your story? <laughs> oh, my goodness. My story has many, many different uh, roads. Um, a, lot of, a lot of people um, tend to um, want want. To want me to talk to them because of the word playboy it's been thrown around quite a bit um that's only a portion of my testimony but it's i think kind of unique and people find it unique because um not only did god bring me out of that mess and brought me into the oneness church but then within two years later, after I was baptized in Jesus' name, um, he, he made me a pastor's wife. Um, so it seems, um, it just seems, it has to be a God thing. There's no other explanation. Um, it, it happened all so quickly. It was the minute I surrendered, I don't want this anymore, God. It was like boom, 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 boom. So rapid, you, rapid. You went from playboy to pastor's yes. wife. 
Absolutely. Okay. Yes. So we're at where we are right now. Let's go back a few years. Tell us about okay. your childhood and your raising. How in the world did you even get uh, started <laughs> in the modeling industry? Oh, boy. Um, this is the part I was asking uh, prayer about because, as you were saying, it's not easy sometimes to dig into um, those boxes of files that um, you know we've kind of laid to the side. Um, I was born to two teenagers. Um, my, my mother ran off, um, when she was 15, went to the South, um, and married my dad, um, who at that point was just under, uh, 19 years old. And uh, I was born three years after they were married. So, um, I'm trying to remember all the details. So I'm paraphrasing a little bit. Um, but they were married total time, a total of time of six years, um, and so I was a child of divorce by the time I was three. Um, both of them were 21, 22 years old at that time. So that was right into the disco era um, of partying and psychedelic music and things like that. So I was shuffled around quite a bit um, from, you know, whoever would babysit me, whoever would take me um, so they could, you know, live their lives because they were young. Um, neither one of them were raised in church. Um, I think my biological father was a Baptist, um, Trinitarian Baptist. Uh, my mother um, was of, of no um, religion whatsoever. She didn't, she in fact had told me uh, just a couple of months ago that she, it's only been a few years ago that she's actually physically had a Bible in her presence. Wow. So with, yeah, I was, I was astonished at that myself. I, I couldn't believe that, you know, here's a woman in her sixties that had never actually, you know, physically seen a Bible with her own eyes, let alone hold one. Um, so I come from a little bit uh, of, a, of a broken foundation. Um, and then by the time I was four, um, remember I said I was bounced back and forth with whoever would take me. A lot of the times it was um, either my, my grandparents on my dad's side or it would be my grandparents on my mother's side. So I was at my grandparents on my father's side, um, and I was in their care, and there was a pedophile that lived next door. So um, I had disappeared for a while, and long story short, I was molested at age four. Um, the same individual had um, a police record and had done time in prison. Um, for not only molesting children, but he had also had murdered, uh, to my knowledge, at least one 12-year-old. Um, and he had changed his name. You have to remember, this is before all of our technology, so background checks and things like that weren't always you know, easy like it is now. Um, so no one really knew anything about him until after that. So that kind of set the foundation um, you know, now hindsight, you know, now that I am where I am in life, I look back and I see um, how this kind of led me down the road into where I ended up. Um, so my mother eventually remarried um, when I was seven. And by the time I turned eight, um, the man that she had married started molesting me as well. Wow. Um, and that age? went on. You said seven? I, that started at eight. She eight. married him at seven and that started at eight. Um, and it lasted until approximately 12 years old. Wow. And yeah, when I was three and four, you know, I really didn't, you know, at that age, children are so innocent. They know something is wrong, but they don't really know what's wrong. So when it happened to me the first time, I just come right out and told my mom what happened. Whereas now you fast forward until I'm eight. Now 
become, now you're in the position where you are ashamed, uh, embarrassed. Well, you said you told um, no your mom. What What did your mom do, or what did your mom say? Um, when When I at that time, um, they called the police. When I that was the first incident with that was actually the neighbor. Um, they called the police. The police came in um, and questioned me. And I, you know, like I said, I was I was four years old. Um, and I remember bits and pieces of having police, you know, outside lots of cop cars and things like that. Um, they had me describe what was in the house. Um, you know, because again, it's, this is the seventies. So, you know, we didn't have the technology that we have now. So it came down to, um, my word as a four-year-old against the word of someone who's able to get away with this kind of thing numerous times. Um, so nothing was done legally, nothing. They didn't arrest them. Um, nothing happened. Um, and also I wanted to say at that time, you know, in the seventies, you know, therapy and, um, and seeking counseling and things like that also was not something that was pushed like it is today. So when something traumatic happened, you know, in that time, you just sort of dealt with it. You know, family just says, hush, hush, we don't talk about it. You know, extra hugs, extra kisses, but we don't, you know, you just learn to, to deal with it. That's the only way I can describe it. Um, so by the time she remarried and, um, you know, I was eight and it started um, then I became very aware of this is a sexual thing where more when I was four, I didn't quite understand anything. So I hid it. didn't tell anyone, but there was a lot of, um, you know, signs there that, um, should have been picked up, but they weren't. For instance, I remember, um, my mother leaving to go to aerobics class with her neighbor, her friend, um, cause she had just had a baby. And I remember being left there with that stepfather and the new baby. And I remember when she'd get to the door to leave, I would hold on to her legs and I would urinate on the floor and I would just be trembling and just petrified and go hide in my closet. Um, you know, shut the door, put lots and lots of stuffed animals around. Sorry. (sighs) Okay. Um, but it was, it was a, it was a rough patch. Um, so I was um, very early in life, even though I knew those things that happened were wrong. Um, there was no therapy in place, so I just learned to, you know, um, self-soothe and, and try to navigate through life. And I look back now and I see that there's a there's a commonality between children, both male and female, that um, you know are traumatized in a, in a sexual way um, by an adult. Um, usually those people, and I'm one of those people, will go into some sort of path that's geared towards um, sexual deviancy, whether it be looking at porn, um, a problem with masturbation, um, or on my end, uh, mine was I wasn't involved in porn, but being in those kind of publications, I mean, call it let's call it what it is, it is a, a, a roadmap from porn, it is considered soft porn. Um, so at that point in my life, I didn't understand that there was a tie in between the two. Um, I just figured out as I got older that, wait a minute here, people, um, they, they accept me, love me and approve of me based on my appearance. And then when I figured out, oh, wait a minute, I'm photogenic on top of it. I just ran with it. Um, and the enemy is so subtle with those kind of things because, um, I didn't just jump right into playboy. 
Um, it was kind of a stair-stepping type thing, one stone to another, um, where it became, um, you know, I wanted to get heavily into fitness, so I did. And then it went from um, me hiring a personal trainer to me becoming one. And then it went from me becoming a personal trainer to me um, finding someone to help me get it ready for figure fitness and bikini competitions. So I spent most of the time working very diligently to get um, a UPC card, um, which is the, um, it's not a pro card, but it's a card that you can, um, I'm sorry, I'm I'm all over the place, not UPC, NPC, National Physique Committee. I was about Um, to say, I didn't know the UPC gave those out. No, not UPC, NPC, as soon as I said that, it was like, one of my friends that's still competing is on my Facebook and he's going to listen and go, what girl, what did you say? <laughs> <Yeah. That's laughs> but it's an NPC card and it's a national physique committee card and you have to have one to compete. So I pretty much worked my, um, you know, uh, that was my hobby. That was my life. That was my pastime, um, you know, traveling between Columbus, Ohio and, and Vegas and things like that. Um, and then of course, once you win, you know, even if you don't take first place, once you win and you start actually placing, then you have all of these supplement companies coming at you. And now they want you to represent their protein powder or, you know, their protein bar or whatever, shake weights, whatever it may be. And um, so then you're in your mind, you know, you're like, whoa, I'm making it. Somebody's noticing me. So you think at that point, you know, it's innocent. Um, I'll start there. So I did. And uh, then it went from just me advertising, a, you know, a protein powder to me and maybe another female. And, and when I say protein powders, you know, those magazines for bodybuilders are geared towards um, not just them building all this muscle, but you can't pick up any bodybuilder magazine and open it and not find at least at some place in the magazine a bunch of layouts of girls half-dressed in gyms. Yeah. You know, everything is sexually geared. So it kind of was like a slow, um, a slow thing. It was like I didn't even see where I was going um, because I was so wrapped up in where I was. Um, so, you know, then it went from two girls, you know, myself and another advertising protein powder to, hey, let's throw in, you know, a bodybuilder guy, with the two of you, you know, let's oil everybody up. You know, you get the idea. So at that point, still in my mind, you know, it's just a business. You know, I'm getting put in magazines to advertise a protein powder. No harm, no harm in that. But then what came around the corner later was um, they used to have a magazine out called American Curves. Um, I believe it's out of publication now. It was put out by a body, a well-known bodybuilder that owned a few magazines. And it, this magazine was strictly for um, bikini models. That's what it was for. Um, they had some girls that were, you know, very muscular, some that weren't, but the bottom line was everybody was in a bikini and it wasn't, you know, a 1950s high waist bikini. It was thong bikini. I mean, anything you can imagine. Um, so I was published in that. Um, and then once that got the ball rolling, everything just exploded. Um, then there was phone calls from Orange County Choppers and all these different places, um, wanting to do calendars and it just, you know, so on and so forth. Still, it's somewhat clean. For living in the world, that was somewhat clean. Um, now that I'm in church, you know, you see a girl in a magazine with a bikini on, and it's like, oh, that's nudity. But in the world, it's just a bikini. Nobody cares. So uh, then I was approached as I'm going, you know, doing all these competitions in Vegas and all these shoots being flown out different places to do photo shoots. 
then I was approached with the Playboy idea. And I rejected it four times, four times, um, because I wasn't real sure if it would be a smart business move. That you know, everything in my mind at that at that point was just all business. Yeah, for you it was business. For others, it was right. sex sales. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And again, um, I wasn't thinking um, as we most most of us don't when we're wrapped up in sin. We're we're doing it for the pleasure of the moment. We don't think about you know what we're going to reap later for what we've planted now. And, um, when I agreed to finally do Playboy, um, it was, you know, a one-time thing. They don't pay very much money, but again, it was a business move. Um, and it was the, you know, I know the Lord was working behind the mist in every issue of my life and every caption I've just gave y'all and I'll bounce back to where I'm at. But, um, even when, you know, I was being violated at eight years old, all the way up to 12, the first Bible I ever pick, picked up and put my hands on was handed to me by the mother of the man that was violating me, which was legally my step-parent. Um, that was the first glimpse. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know anything, but I knew I used to write letters in there to God, and then I would put it, fold them up, and then I would put them in the Bible. And so I see, you know, even then, you know, he was still working behind the scenes and kind of pushing me along. And I remember days that, you know, I would be so upset that I wasn't, you know, as I'm, you know, getting older and I got into the modeling that I would get so upset that I wanted to win this competition or I wanted to be in this magazine or I wanted to do this or that or travel here, travel there. And I remember no matter how much I tried, there would just be a dead wall there. There, I couldn't get through. I couldn't um, get any further. I couldn't get any worse. Thank God, because there was, a, you know, I was once Playboy happened, I was approached you know, by all kinds of junk. And I'm so glad that, um, that God blocked it. I know that he blocked it because I, I see girls, um, even some women that I'm still friends with that are still locked into that industry. Um, you know, sky's the limit. They'll do anything. So how long were, so how long were you, um, a copyright model for Playboy? Well, it's not, it's not um, how long. Once you do a photo shoot, and that's with anyone, but particularly with Playboy, um, they own the rights to the images. They own the rights to, you know, the name that you used, any of that. So my understanding now is that Playboy is not in, I, I, my understanding, I don't know, that they're not in a physical, um, physical print business anymore. Everything's internet. I don't know that to be facts, just what I've heard. But even if, let's say, 20 years from now, let's say that they decide to refloat those images um, of me, there's nothing I can do about it legally. Because at that point in my life, that's what you do. You sign off all your rights to everything. So it isn't how long. It's a one-time session. Now, there are women that would go back over and over and over and over and do several shoots. But um, it's a, you know, a one-time shoot is a one-time shoot. If you choose to do multiple shoots, you know, you do, but I didn't, I did once, one time. And I remember, um, you know, doing that one shoot. I remember the first day that I ever spoke about that once I got into church and I remember my pastor at the time, I had no idea he was going to bring it up. I was ashamed of it and I was trying to hide it because I thought, my God, if these people in this church know where I came from, they'll never have, they'll never accept me. That was my mindset. 
Um, and I remember we were, we were sitting there on a Wednesday night, um, getting ready to do a Bible study. And my pastor at the time went around the room. So it was a small group that showed up and he started asking everyone if they would give a little bit of their testimony. And I'm sitting there thinking, how do I, how do I speak my testimony and leave this part out? And I think he knew I was struggling with it. And so out of the blue, he says, sister, he said, I feel very led. He said to um, help you with this testimony. He said, there's people that need to hear this. And I remember when he said that, you could hear a complete, I mean, silence in the room. Like everyone just went cold silent. Like they could, you know, when he said she was in Playboy, they just went completely silent. And I was terrified. I really was. I thought, you know, are these people going to reject me? Are they going to love me? Um, they, they were, they were, they were fine. Um, <laughs> they didn't reject me. They didn't love me. They did They were indifferent. Um, there was just that quietness. No one seemed to really care about, um, that part of my life until I became a pastor's wife. And then that became the deal breaker for a lot of people. So explain that. Yeah, that's what I was getting ready to say. I need <laughs> to explain that. Okay. So, um, for instance, um, my husband gets a lot of phone calls. He hasn't, thank God, in a few months, um, but there for a while pretty steady. He was getting, you know, twice, sometimes three times a week, he would get a phone call from a different pastor, um, you know, in the organization that would call him up and say, hey, we don't agree with what she posted. My husband would say, what do you mean? He said, well, we don't, we don't agree with what she posted. You know, she needs to choose one photo, just one. She doesn't need to choose several photos because then that's boasting sin. Um, you know, that's, you know, maybe implanting the wrong thoughts. Um, and then we get another phone call, you know, Hey, you know, she's oversharing, you know, she doesn't need to share that, you know, it's okay. She, you know, basically, um, there's a lot of pastors that are very upset that I share my testimony a lot. I get a lot of, um, you know, like after we do this podcast, I've already told my husband, I said, be prepared. I said, because you're probably going to get some hate mail. And he said, that's okay. He said, that's okay. He said, I'll deal with the hate mail as it comes in. He said, but my Bible says that, you know, we share our testimony. And he said, if you can help someone with that testimony, he said, then you speak it. See, that's, um, we've, so, we've, we've been cussed out before, so we don't mind. Yeah. So, hey, that's, <laughs> yeah, so that's my exact argument. And Jacqueline, when I called you, I, I, I explained to you, and as I do with a lot of our guests, is just because we have you on our podcast doesn't mean we agree with you, what you're saying or doesn't mean that we support. But you have a right to tell your story. And what Brian and I have found out from episode one, you may say something that changes the complete um, destiny for somebody uh, in their walk with God. And I would rather take a 100 people calling me and cussing me out for releasing an episode with some, for something they didn't agree with and have right. one person call me and say, that's exactly what I needed. That was my sign. That's my hope. Amen. Amen. And so I say I welcome all of those. I'm going to say haters and hate mail right. because right. I know for everyone that um, is going to be destroying, trying to destroy it, there's going to be one person, at least one person that is exactly what they're looking for. So I want right. I want to ask you since you've been posting all this. So kind, sure. of, kind of going 
to the end of your story, and then in a little while we want to back up and hear how you actually came into the church and how you met your yes, husband yes. and about your church now. But jumping past that to now when you share your testimony, what are the things that you see your story resonating with people? Like what is what is it that you're getting on Facebook private messages saying, "Hey, sis, you did when I read your post, this is what it did to me." From from the ladies out there, is it body image things? Is it emotional things? Is it um, sexual abuse in the past? What is it that that you feel like your story resonates with people? Well, I, let me clarify that. Um, if we're going to call it hate mail, we'll call it hate mail. The hate mail that I receive um, over sharing my testimony or side-by-side photos, nine times out of ten, those hate mails are written by men that are in the church. Most of them are in leadership positions. Um, very, very seldom is it just, you know, a, you know, a saint in the church. It's usually someone that's, you know, um, in the ministry. Um most of them go to, to my husband directly. Um, they don't, you know, come to me first. But then you get the few of them that will. Most mail that I get, and notice I didn't say hate mail, most mail that I get after I have shared a testimony on Facebook, social media, Instagram, wherever, um, is generally from women in the church. Um, and I have had countless women um, you know, message me and tell me, you know, I am so glad. I'm so thankful for your transparency. Um, you know, I've went through this, 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 and this, and I had, ne- I never would have guessed that, you know, you, you went through these very same things and I'm talking anything from, um, you know, sexual molestation as a child to, uh, physically abusive relationships with men, um, not being able to get out of those relationships um, walking into a church and feeling like you've been completely stripped and and everyone knows everything you've done and there's no no warmth or there's no love. I mean, I've had all those conversations with women in the church. Um, I've even had women in the church, in the ministry, pastor's wives that have messaged me and said, hey, you know, keep your head up, keep swinging, keep fighting because you know what? I used to be a stripper and I'm a pastor's wife. You know, don't let the enemy put you down. You just keep going. He's trying to shut your mouth. So I think that with with my life, the way it has gone and all the things that have happened um, between sexual abuse and, you know, emotional and mental and physical abuse and then venturing into what I consider not the red carpet of Hollywood, but pretty close to it, um, that full circle, you know, I've experienced so much, so much trauma um, in my life that, that sharing my openness with where I've been and where God has placed me at now can help so many people, not just women that are going through it, but even men that are locked into pornography, they have to understand that, you know, when they're feeding that, that, that beast, um, even in the dark, you know, they have to understand that if they stop feeding that beast, not only does it free them, but the porn industry stops. Mm-hmm. As long as they keep buying, as long as they keep looking, as long as they keep logging in, then it's going to be a constant revolving door. Yeah. So, so to now, I will say men, even though it's not, even though it's predominantly men, it isn't exclusively to men. But when right. when when a man is looking at an image or a video, what is he what is he really seeing as far as who the person is that's in that <laughs> image? That or that's in that video. What kind of, what kind of a life is that person living in that he is, by the consent right. of his viewership, condoning that is normalcy. 
Right, and I have to say this. Um, God laid this on my heart just now because I, I completely forgot about this until you would mention that. Um, I had one time um, was able to sit down next to um, a gentleman that actually was in porn. That's what he did for a living. And of course, you know, um, keep in mind that this is when I was lost, living in a sinful world, no direction. Um, as he sat down and I found out what he did for a living, all of a sudden I thought, oh, I've got to ask this person questions. Like, as for instance, what in the world would prompt you to get into this life? And what do you do? Go home and say, you know, honey, ask me how my day was. How does, how does this work? So I was asking him a lot of questions and he told me something that stuck with me for years. He said, you know, he said when, um, you know, people log in, he said, and they pay money to watch porn. He said, and all these videos and things, he said, they don't understand that these women that are in these porn films, he said, they don't enjoy what they're doing. He said, a lot of them are on a lot of drugs for pain management um, to keep them sedated. Um, he said, those things are so cut and ripped up and pieced together to make a film. He said that, you know, so when men view these things, especially men, I know it's not exclusive to men. I know women also have those same issues, but when men log into this thing, it distorts their patterns of thinking in such a profound way that they think that this is what women like. And so they eventually, after it imprints on them because they're watching it and it absorbs into their psyche, they start carrying that into their relationship with their spouse. Um, they, their, their whole, their whole intimacy, um, line of thinking is completely twisted and in off in a whole new direction. And when that man told me that, I was I was so surprised because I thought I, I didn't know that's what went on behind the scenes. And he said, yes, he said there isn't any female or really any male that I know of that enjoys their job. So when people are viewing these things, um, they need to understand that they are feeding into that whole process of abuse. That's what it is. It's abuse. And a lot of the females, from my understanding, that are involved in that are teenagers that have been picked up as runaways that are in the child trafficking industry that have no way out of it. Mm. Yet, as long as people keep buying, they're going to keep providing. So at some point when it stops, they'll have no need to keep making that junk because there's no one buying it. So for you, what was the breaking point? Because um, it was before it has to be you... God. Yeah, but it was before you came to church that you stopped doing. Absolutely. So what? Yep. What was it? What, what was it? it what was your God. that's enough? I was uh, going through a whole slew of trying to feel feel that void of uh, emptiness that I'd had since I was a child. Um, I was tired. I was exhausted um, of constant travel. Um, you know, uh, counting calories. I mean, it was it was it was a lifestyle. And I had went through dating um, NFL players, abusive ones, um, Major League Baseball pitchers. I mean, you name it, uh, rock stars. I tried everything. And I was always left broken, confused. I mean, um, the last incident was I was dating an NFL player who had physically abused me, and I had him put away. He, he went to jail. And I remember laying on the floor in my... Um, in my bedroom and I was curled up on the floor in the fetal position and I was in gut wrenching tears because not because I was, um, Oh my goodness, my abuser is finally out of my life and I don't know what I'm going to do without him. It was more of, um, here I am in my thirties at that point And I'm, I'm no further along in life. I don't feel any more love or fullness than I had 
when I started this thing. And I was truly broken. I mean, truly broken. And at that point, even though I didn't have a relationship with God, I knew he was there. And that's when I started praying and and crying out to God that he's got to change my life. He's got to set me on a new path and get me in a new direction. Because the way I was doing things and my choices were, were, were leaving me in a crumpled mess. And I acknowledged that. And literally... It was the very next day when I woke up, I remember sitting up on the side of the bed and I remember just being completely and totally done. I was done. I called every photographer. I called every coach that I had, every supplement company that I was in line with. I called everyone and I said, I am so done that I'm willing to pay any money that I need to gather to break these contracts if there is any more in place, but I am done. I'm stepping away from this entire thing and I, I don't want it anymore. Thankfully, um, God provided all of that money. I didn't need to come up with anything. The contracts were severed. They were broken. They were done. Um, and then I started, I guess you would call it church shopping. And I made some friends with some girls that were in a Pentecostal church Um, and I just would spend time with them here and there, go to church here and there, nothing consistent. Um, and then 2015, um, I was bouncing between a fundamental Baptist church and, uh, the apostolic church. I had not been to the apostolic church yet. Um, but I was, you know, contemplating on whether I should go or not. Cause I'm thinking, Oh, I've heard these people can be kind of strict and crazy. And, uh, I prayed about it and I went in there and uh, it was on a Wednesday night And I remember the pastor of that church and his wife, I mean, they were literally almost in a run to get to me to shake my hand because they knew I was coming. I'd called them. And um, I sat in that church for less than 10 days. Now, mind you, I had been dipped in a lake. I had been sprinkled, you know, in a Catholic church. I had I had been you name it. You know, I I tried every kind of baptism on the planet and uh, thinking that I had the, the truth and I didn't. And um, I sat in that church less than 10 days, and I went up to him after a service, and I said, I think I need to be baptized again. Wow. And uh, he so he explained it to me, you know, um, to make sure I understood what I was doing. And I was baptized um, the end of that week. And uh, 24 hours before that baptism, um, no one knows this but my husband, so now everybody will know this, but um, I was in my, my, I had a prayer room that I had set up for myself where I could get alone. And, um, and, and pray to God and read and study. And I went in there and I remember praying and saying, God, if this is your will and this is where I need to be and this oneness stuff, if this is the truth and this whole speaking in tongues thing is the truth. When I come up out of that water, I want, I want to be singing in tongues if that's, that's what it takes. But I never told anyone that. And the day I was baptized, I remember when I come up out of that water, Sorry. I think I, I'm pretty sure I was choking on water when I come up because I was speaking in tongues before I even surfaced. Wow. And I remember hearing myself and I'm thinking, I don't even know Spanish, let alone whatever's going on right now. And uh, after the baptism was over, I was in the foyer of this church and I was trying to get my um, my clothes and stuff in my bags you know, my wet clothes. And I remember uh, this pastor came up to me and he stops me in the foyer and he said, 
this. He goes, I don't know how long you've been running from God. He said, but I have never in my 30 years of pastoring have ever seen anybody speaking in tongues before their face broke the water. He said, God's been chasing you a long time. And from that day on, I have never looked back. I've never cut my hair. I've never colored my hair. I've never put on immodest clothes. I have never painted my nails or put a lick of makeup on since. And nobody told me to do it. I just knew. I knew instantly. I can't explain it. I just knew it. And um, I met my husband uh, two years later. Two years later, we were married. Wow. And where did you meet at? <laughs> Facebook land. Hey, that's where I met my wife. Really? <laughs> yes. Um, there's I, a uh, there's a question I want to ask you. Sure. Uh, that I've been I've just been sitting here just wondering <sighs> what your answer would be as you're telling your story. There's hypothetically a 17 year old girl that feels like she's stuck in mm-hmm. relationship, not with a human, but with the thought or the images that she can become and she knows that she shouldn't do it, but she's struggling with it's my body that God has given me. It's, it's immaculate. I could make money for this. Uh, what would you tell that girl? I would tell her it's a lie. It's all a lie. You know, we have a 17 year old as, as you know, in the house right now that is struggling with, um, a lot of things that girls struggle with. And, um, you know, growing up, I didn't have uh, that foundation of, of, of a parent coming to me saying, hey, um, we don't have sex before marriage because God doesn't want us to do that. That's reserved for marriage and marriage only. I didn't have that in my life. Um, and a lot of girls, uh, they don't have that in their life. They are taught, you know, um, hey, when you're ready, I'd rather you not sneak it. Just come tell me and we'll get you on birth control rather than um, to try to mentor them and what's right and what's wrong. And nowadays, um, girls struggle. They do. It, it, they struggle because they have all of these uh, Snapchats and they have Instagrams and all this stuff with social media. Um, you know, improper photos being sent back and forth and all of these things going on. And they need to understand that that's not the way that God designed things. And that would be the one thing that if I ever broke off into a ministry like that, that I would try to love and encourage every girl that, you know, you, if, you, if you're chasing Jesus, everything else will fall into place. But your body is reserved for that one special mate that God has for you. Don't rob your mate before you even get on the altar. Mm. Right. And, and now, I mean, it's, I mean, pretty much everybody can be their own agent basically because now with Snapchat, they can, there's ways they can sell their Snapchat to different people with the Snapchat premiums. That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, so it's, it's, it, there's so many different options where if people wanted to fall into that, they could easily do so. We've, you know, um, we, we've struggled with that. Like I said, we have uh, six kids together, and our youngest is almost 17. Um, and um, Hold on, there's no way. I've seen your that. pictures. There's no way that... I have four. <laughs> I have four. And then my, uh, my husband has two. His oldest is 31, and my oldest is almost 25. 
You do not look old enough to have a 25 Yeah, <laughs> true story. I'm almost 48, true story. Wow. Um, but my youngest daughter, um, she struggles with that. Like, you know, right now the, the normal thing for parents seems to be just give them a phone because that's every kid has a phone. And uh, we've tried, you know, a couple of times with the phone, but the temptations there, even though she's being raised in church, the temptations with, um, you know, I don't know how to put it other than just to say it with the sexual enticement that is, that is tagged onto all of this social media stuff. And, and now you can even get dating apps and everything else on your phones. Um, and you can even hit a button on your phone to make all your apps invisible so that no one else can see your apps on your screen. So there's so much secrecy and, and hidden things in social media um, and phones that, you know, as a family, we've made the decision that, you know what, just because you're 16 doesn't automatically make it individualized to you that it's okay for you to have a phone. Because if there's things out there that are already making you question everything that you've been taught and everything the Bible says, then that phone's got to go. Absolutely, and I, I will never, ever, ever mention anybody's name on this podcast to degrade or upset yeah. anybody, and, 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 and specifically, I had a hard time saying that, specifically, <laughs> but um, there is, I, I just want to tell a quick story to our parents that may be listening out there, yes. um, that I, I know this, this couple, I know them pretty well. And we we went to dinner with them, and I could tell that something was bothering them. And I was I'm close to the to the man in the family, and uh, I said, uh, "Man, is everything okay?" And he said, "Yeah, we got my preteen daughter a iPhone um, as a gift, and we have found her on this app, um, pretending to be someone she's not, and she's already wrapped up in this realm of." Um, skipping her childhood, her teenage years. And it's almost as if already trying to, um, I'm trying to put this very politically correct. Um, but, um, sell sex almost. Right. And, um, you know, saying things that are ungodly and, um, FaceTiming with people that is just, uh, they boys that have one thing on their mind and they didn't know how to handle that. And, I mean, for me, it was, I'm hoping I can get home before dark or else I'm going to get in trouble. Now they're right. dealing today with what yeah. is my child looking at on their mobile device? Yep, absolutely. And I mean, and we've so, struggled with that. I mean, I, I, I can only imagine what it's going to be like in 20 years. I, I made a statement to my dad. Um, I was with him a couple weeks ago and uh, during this pandemic that we're in as everybody knows if you're going to eat something you got to pick it up and it's got to be to go and as we're on our way to go pick up our our food or we were making our order actually on an app and I looked at my dad and I said dad what would your grandma or mom say if they knew that um eventually their telephone would be what it is today and he said there is no way that they could ever fathom that Mm -hmm. and that's I'm almost scared for our next generation of apostolics, what they're going to have to face. Right. We are too. Um, as I said, you know, I'm, you know, I'm trying to be as transparent here as I possibly can with, as you said, being politically correct at the same time. Um, 
my my husband and I are, are close. My husband's been closer to him, you know, over 20 years with, um, you know, Brother Sam Emery. And we actually reached out to him last week for some uh, biblical wisdom, godly counseling on how to handle, um, you know, cell phone use and things like that. Because we're struggling with our daughter trying to get her to understand um, you know, how enticing these apps are. And I, do, I don't think kids understand that um, this is a huge, huge, um, complicated, sinful spider web that is set up strategically for these kids to take them apart and to take down the family and to take down the church they're belonging to. I mean, it's an awful thing. And we don't know everything. You know, my husband and I, we don't know everything. We have a lot of wisdom with six kids. Um, you know, we don't know what always works, but we definitely can tell you what doesn't work. And uh, we decided to call Brother Emery, and he gave us some some powerful, godly insights on some things. And um, he said one thing that stuck with me. He said, always remember a teenage boy with the Holy Ghost is still a teenage boy with the Holy Ghost. He said they're still a teenager. He said, they're still human, just like these girls are. And he said, and, and it, you know, if, you're, if your teen can't break free out of some of these grips with some of these things that come across these, these uh, apps on their phone, he said, it's time to take away the phone. It's time to put some things on it. They may hate you right now, but it may save them later. And that's kind of what we're dealing with right now as a family with our teenage girl is trying to get her to understand the severity of these innocent sex texting things that are out there. And the thing is, you know, my children, we've been very open. They all know my background. They all know my background. So when I see them, you know, I, I can tell them, look, I'm not one of these parents that can just tell you not to do something. I'm telling you because I have reaped that sin. I know what that, how devastating that is. Yeah. So it, it's a tough road. It's a tough road. So when, what was it like when you realized you were going to be a pastor's wife? Was that very <laughs> intimidating for you? I am, um, excuse me. I was actually, I was terrified. It was, um, it was just presented to me um, out of the blue. I can't even say it was presented to me. It was dropped on me like a house. I mean, it was. Um, when I was fasting and praying for a godly mate, because I had never done that before in my entire life, I had always chosen, um, men or dates or whatever based on, um, what I wanted. Um, and we all know how that turned out. So I decided, you know what? My way is terrible. I am going to do it God's way. So I remember praying, you know what? I don't care, um, you know, how tall he is. I don't care how short he is. I don't care what he looks like. I don't care where he comes from. I just want to make sure that I don't want, I don't want a pew warmer God. I said, I want someone that is actively in the ministry that will serve God with me side by side, that we can serve as a team. And uh, the devil's sly because I had a bunch of, you know, um, men in ministry that were, you know, coming from all sides. And I remember praying, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Long story short, we got it narrowed down to uh, my husband. And uh, literally, this is how our story went. Um, we, we chatted here and there. I blew him off a half a dozen times. Probably was pretty rude to him, I'm sure, because I remember apologizing to how rude I was to him. Like, what do you want now? That kind of attitude. Um, not knowing that this is the man God had sent. 
And my husband had been watching uh, my Facebook profile for several months and had not made his himself um, known. And um, God had already been dealing with him and said, that's the girl, that's the one, that's the one. So he had his biblical assurance on his end. So when he had approached me, um, you know, I was kind of going, yeah, it's just another guy, you know, just another bozo. Just he's probably going to kill me when he hears me say that. But <laughs> just, you know, just another one of those. That's how I was. And uh, well, you're not I a finally, bozo now in case you're listening. No, he's definitely not. <laughs> uh, definitely not. I want to stress that. But uh, we um, we talked literally um, almost every day. We video chatted, prayed together. Um, I went to my pastor at that time and uh, made sure that I had, um, you know, his blessing. I didn't want to do anything outside of the will of God. Um, my pastor was on board. Everybody was on board. So um, my husband had me fly out. We had talked uh, day and night on video chat and phone calls for, I'm going to say, around 12 weeks, give or take. And the day that I flew to Albuquerque, New Mexico, and got off the plane... Uh, we were married that day, that evening, um, the first time we saw each other. Wow. And that is the truth. We had never kissed each other, touched each other, anything of the liking, never even been on a real date. Um, we married that evening, and uh, within one year after we were married, uh, that's when we started pastoring. Wow. It just happened very quickly. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, I remember my mother calling me because it was announced on Facebook. He announced that I didn't, and she's just like, "Okay, I knew you were dating this pastor, but you got married. Are you insane? Yeah, that's, that's the craziest thing." <laughs> that's what I was wanting to know. Is we had a prior guest on our podcast, Pastor Joe Hanthorn, and he actually spent time in prison. Um, and Brian asked a question, you know, when you got married, what did your spouse's folks think about it? And yeah. that was a funny question to me. And I'm interested to hear what did your guys' parents think whenever you guys got married? <laughs> well, my, my uh, father-in-law, um, he actually, um, he pastored for over 30 years. Um, in between uh, Moline, Illinois, and here in, in Albuquerque. And uh, so he's the one that actually married us. Hmm. Uh, he was like right on it. He What's said, son, uh, I'm sorry. What's his name? His name is Ray St. Clair Sr. Hmm. And he, uh, he actually, um, you know, he was all for it. He said, you know what? He said, son, he said, if, if God has given you confirmation, he said, and, you, and she's had confirmation, he said, don't, don't give the devil time to play with this. He said, you, you get married. So we did. He married us. So he was all on board for it. Uh, my husband's um, mother passed away years ago. Um, so my parents, we didn't say anything, like I said, until after um, it was done. And they were actually um, out of state at my baby brother's wedding. He got married the day before we did. Um, and so when she found out, she was not upset at the fact that, you know, we were married, both of them were, you know, my parents were just, you know, blown away that, you know, how could you have a ceremony and, and we not be there? And I said, well, you were at my baby brother's wedding, so you couldn't be in two places at one time. So a month after we were legally married, we drove to Colorado where my parents are at and uh, we redid our ceremony and our, and our wedding and everything there in Colorado. So my parents and family could be part of that. That is absolutely incredible. 
I have yeah. never seen or heard of a story where um, you go meet them and like, hey, let's get married. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> well, you no, know, it wasn't quite that crazy, but I mean, we had, we had talked about it and, um, you know, he was, he was more, my husband was more, um, absolute with God, but you have to remember, he's also a third generation Pentecostal. So his grandfather was a tent revival evangelist. Oh yeah. So, so this has been in his way of life since forever. He doesn't know any other life outside of the church. So his relationship um, and knowing the sound of God's voice, knowing when it is God's voice, was a little bit stronger, if you will, than mine. I had a lot of second guessing and doubting and, you know, and things like that, uh, even though I did have several confirmations um, from other, you know, um, saints in the church that knew nothing about him. There was no denying that it was it was a God thing. Um, but my husband was a lot more certain with it than I was. So we had discussed it, you know, that he says, I, I would marry you tomorrow if you came out here. And I'm going, you, sir, need a therapist. That was where I was at. You know, like, you, you have some problems here. But uh, he, he wasn't looking at it that way. He knew. He knew what God had dealt with him on. Where with on my end, I was more, um, you know, doubtful of, well, you know, this isn't normal. This isn't what people do. And, uh, one, you know, my pastor said to me, he says, you know what? He said, you're going to find out. He said, when God moves, God moves. And he does it in ways that the world sees as not normal. And un-understandable. <laughs> yes, very much so. So we married that evening. And uh, honestly, and I'm not saying this because it's, you know, my husband's going to listen. But it has truly been the biggest blessing that I've ever experienced in my life outside of being a mother. Awesome. Uh, what was the, can you tell us about your Facebook post you recently had about, um, it, there was, I can't remember exactly what it was offhand, but something about how, how God worked in a way that, um, with, with something with the courts. Yes. Yes. We had, uh, so my husband's oldest daughter, um, you know, she fell into some, some, uh, some sin and she's been uh, addicted, unfortunately, to um, narcotics, her and her, her husband, and they both were in church. Um, and they were having a hard time taking care of their children. Um, and so the authorities stepped in and gave us a call to keep them out of the foster system, and we took the children. Um, so the children were living with us for a couple of years now consistently with no progression in the right direction with the parents. So we, um, we had decided to go ahead and contact a law firm um, to try to get uh, some sort of guardianship in place with the children so that we didn't have to worry about either of the parents or anyone else in the extended family coming in and picking them up from school or taking them out of the house and then us have to go through all the you know, um, legal things to, to get them back. So we actually uh, were, were contacted by a legal service here that read our case and our situation. And uh, it, it's flatly said, you know what, we think we can help you and we won't charge you anything. Wow. So, yeah, and I was like, wow, that was last year. Um, so we decided to go with that. And uh, a year later, um, we get one court hearing, and it was about a 10-minute hearing, very short, and it was just with the intention of getting some sort of 
of temporary guardianship in place so that we would have a way to get the kids care to the hospital, the doctor, the dentist, that kind of thing, until the permanent hearing um, came, came abroad. So within, I think it was less than two months, um, we get something in the mail that says, hey, you have a court date of May 7th, but since we have the COVID thing going on right now, we're doing all court hearings by video. So I'm walking away thinking, how in the world do you go and, you know, when you're facing a judge through a video camera, okay, let's do it. Um, so we're prepping for that day. We're prepping to get ready to get our cameras on so that we can be dressed for court and get ready to give our testimonies. And I get a phone call and it was the attorney. And she said, I have some very good news for you. And I said, what's that? And she said, well, never ever in the state of New Mexico that I can find in any archives of any case histories has there ever been anything like this before but she said the judge went ahead and signed you two as permanent guardianships you have custody 100 percent of the children without coming back to court you do not have to video you don't have to do anything and i remember hanging up the phone and i was crying my my we had our intercessor prayer uh warrior sitting at my table she's crying we're all dancing we're all shouting and we're all like this is god there was no other way around it this was a move of god there's never been a case where you don't go in for a hearing for permanent guardianship. This is the lives of two children that a judge could make the slightest mistake in judgment and the children be with a family that, you know, could be harmful, hurtful or any of the above things. And make or break and their she, whole life. Yes. And, and she, literally she met us one time for 10 minutes two months earlier in a prior uh, preliminary hearing is what it was. Um, and then that was it. She 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 said she had enough evidence. Um, she felt comfortable and she didn't need to see us anymore. She signed it and we're done. And my attorney says, I will be sending you a letter, um, a closing letter, letting you know that, you know, your 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 case is closed and congratulations. And that was it. Wow. Brian, it sounds like that uh, God really works in mysterious ways with Jacqueline St. Clair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, wow. I'm telling you. It absolutely. God, God amazes me daily i mean daily and i know that you know people that are raised in church you know they might get you know used to things you know used to how things are and, and blessings that show up and you know me i'm still in that that five-year mode of wow i'm still just wowed every time something happens every time a prayer is answered every time a blessing falls i am an absolute wowness every time um, so obviously uh, you don't whitewash your story Right. No. <laughs> you've you've no. been very very honest about the things that you've dealt with and 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 it, what your family's even currently dealing with. As a word of encouragement to somebody out there that has a story, what would you recommend to somebody that they have a past but they're in, too intimidated or fearful to share it? They've got to share it. They've got to share it. They have to. You know, something that I have found is people no matter if they're in church or out of church, people are always going to have an opinion. And most of the time people are going to have wrong ones about you. And you know what? I always say this. If you're serving God, serve God in spite of the wrong opinions. And people have tried and tried and tried to get me not to speak my test testimony or even mention the playboy thing. Um, you know, and I feel like this, there are so many people that need to hear it because there's so many people stuck in chains and bondage, you know, in dark rooms that are afraid to say, hey, this happened to me or this is what I'm dealing with. You know, I'll tell you real quick, 
you know, there was an older lady that came, she, old, old, older lady had been, been in Pentecost her whole life. And uh, she had a problem with someone that was covered in tattoos coming in the church. Now, this is an older lady, so her mindset was way different, I'm sure. And as I'm standing there, I remember letting her say her piece. And I said, you don't understand. I said, your first lady has six. And she looked at me, her eyes bugged, her eyebrows raised, her mouth fell open. And she just looked at me. I said, I have six tattoos that are hidden. Thank you, Jesus. They're hidden. But But I said, here's the thing. God's still using me as a pastor's wife in the church, tattoos and all. Mm-hmm. Some people go out into this world and they get scars and you can't see them. Sin has beat them up, left them absolutely mangled on the inside and you can't see nothing on the outside. They look perfect. Where some of us go into the world and we get beat up and we have the tattoos to prove it. Yes. If you could see the the scars of a man or a woman that has never seen uh, what the world could do to them, but because of church hurt or because of individuals that's hurt them or um, things that's been said about them that may be true or false, either way. I mean, it's not just the people that are in the world that struggle. And that's, that's really what kind of upset me a little bit about whenever you were saying these other pastors would call your husband and say, I've got an issue with, with your wife doing this. And then nine times out of 10, those are some of the individuals that have some of the biggest, darkest skeletons in their closet. Yep. I agree. Um, Before we start winding down, I want to ask you one last question before we go into Mm -hmm. our final segments. Um, But my last question I wanted to talk to you about, and you can talk freely about is, your husband and yourself are church planners. And yeah. I saw on Sunday, in spite of COVID-19, um, you guys were busy baptizing folks. Tell yep. us a little bit about um, your church plan that you and your husband have got going on. Um, well, we have found um, that it's funny you, you mentioned church hurt because um, there is a lot of people um, that are church hurt. Yes. I mean, even people that are in that were in the ministry or, or, or currently are in the ministry that are carrying some really big gaping wounds. And uh, when my husband and I decided to start this church, that was the motivation behind it. That was the, the nights of fasting and praying that were behind it was we said, God, we want to start a church that welcomes everyone we're talking transgenders, we're talking drug addicted. We do a ministry on Saturdays down at the homeless shelter. My husband preaches there once a month and you've got all kinds of things going on there. Um, and, and we decided we don't care what your sin is that you're carrying, just get in the church, just get in the house of God. And that was our, our, our drive for planting this church here was we wanted to bring in, you know what, you've been church hurt, come on in here. Come on in here. There's a bunch of us that have been church hurt. Let's love Jesus together. Let's heal each other up. Let's worship him. Um, so that's that was the the motivation behind uh, the church that we started. And uh, in spite of COVID, we have continued to have church. We just haven't publicized it, you know, um, as much as other people have. But we've had, a, you know, we haven't had anyone not show up for church. 
Um, we've had two new people came, came to our church. They've been here a couple of weeks and, uh, they knew they wanted to be baptized in Jesus name. So we told them, we said, Hey, you know, uh, the church isn't quite finished yet. We still have to get the carpet in and, you know, chairs are on the way they've been ordered. And they said, you know what? We still want to be baptized. I said, okay, let's go pick up a, a cattle trough and let's get it done. So my, my husband said, let's do it. That is absolutely incredible. Yeah. So how can how can our listeners connect with you um, for encouragement? I know you're on social media, correct? Yes. Okay, so they can find you on social media. Um, and guys, I'm telling you, like Brian just said, um, she posts some stuff on there that is very encouraging um, but real. So if you get your feelings hurt, I recommend staying away. But it's a true story. I mean, <laughs> Lord, help me. <laughs> what we would like to do is... This is my fa- my favorite segment that Brian and I do. Um, we want to give you the last word, the final thought, um, something that me and Brian may have missed or something that God's laid on your heart or something that you've been dealing with lately. Um, just, just share for the next couple of minutes uh, something with our listeners that can be an encouragement to them. I would say that uh, the one thing that I have dealt with the most is... You know, when you live in the world and you're rolled up in sin, you know, um, there's no love there. There really isn't. There's no love there. It doesn't matter what lie the devil tries to sell you. There's no real love there. And the one thing that I struggled with the most is coming into the church and feeling inadequate, um, feeling um, like I didn't measure up, feeling like um, I didn't look like everybody else. Um, I didn't act the right way. Um, I didn't you know, worship the right way because I came from a different place. And I hear so many times when, when women reach out to me and, and, and some men also, but uh, primarily women, they'll say, you know what? I want to go to church, but you know, God hasn't dealt with me on, on this and this and this yet. And, and I'm trying to stay out because I, I don't want to be hurt. And if I could offer any, any help to anybody, you know, we're in, we're living in the last days now where, you know, we've got to be, we've got to stop being so meticulous and picky with people. These people um, in these last days are running in the church doors and they are looking for something. And if we, you know, if we, if we make a transgender feel less than because that person's a transgender walking into the building, how are we ever going to get them to see Jesus? Amen. And that's, that's one of our, you know, we deal with a lot of transgenders down at the uh, homeless shelter. There's even one at our local bank that I've been slowly trying to win over time. And he knows that my husband's a pastor. He knows that I'm a pastor's wife. And, and you can just see the perplexity in his face. Like, why are you inviting me? And I'll invite him every time, you know, um, and he's, you can see he wants to come, but he's scared. Yeah. And if I could offer any words of wisdom is people have to love people. If you're in the church, you got to love people. No matter what their sin looks like, no matter how offended you are with, you know, if they've got a tattoo on their calf and, you know, and, and a lady comes in and she has that and you can see it, you know, through, you know, at the bottom of the hem of her dress, you know, we don't have time to look at, look at that junk. We need to get them to the baptismal tank. We need to win them to the Lord. We need to show them the love that Jesus has that the world has been, not been showing. Amen. Well, I've that's my biggest thing. I've I've learned just recently that we're living in a generation 
especially with politics, but not limited to politics, that if mm-hmm. if we don't agree, we can't be friends. Right. And that if if we let that seep into the church, there will never be a church for our next generation to, to come into. Right. Um, That's right. Because um, the church is full of hypocrites. The church mm-hmm. is it's full of liars and thieves and it's full of transgenders and it's full of mm-hmm. people that's got mistakes and thank God for it. There's no better place for it. Right. That's right. Amen. So we thank you very much for your time. Uh, wish we could have done this in person. We, we like to do our interviews in person, but I, yeah. hate, I hate this on the phone. Yeah, stuff. I, don't, I don't like the phone stuff, <laughs> but, 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 but thank you for being willing to, to share with us and, and minister to someone yeah. out there. Um, I do want to say to our listeners, if you have a story that you want a story to be told, now I'm not promising we tell every story on here, but you can reach out to us through our social media, The Crucial Conversation. You can email us at thecrucialconversation uh, at gmail.com. Tony, go ahead and start playing that wrap-up music that you like. <laughs> All right, and, here we go. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I just want to say to everybody out there that, that we, we, want to, we want to help you tell your story. Yes. We, we, we don't want to hide it. We want it to be able to help somebody. And so um, if you want to let us know, we're here for you because we are. And Jacqueline, thank you so much for being very transparent. Yes. yes. I know thank it's, you for having it's me. I'm not, trying to help somebody. Yeah, it's, it's not easy, but thank you so much for being transparent. And guys, thanks for listening to the Crucial Conversation Podcast. Hey guys, this is Brian, and I'm Tony, and you're listening to the Crucial Conversation Podcast.